episode 19 up close and personal whether joining us for the very first time or are now a regular listener of the cfd podcast i welcome you with open arms and an open heart whether you hold on to a faith that is different than the three major religions or don't believe in anything at all I want you to truly know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, are precious, priceless, and that everything about you was created perfectly. Contrary to how you may feel, or more likely what others may think of you. It is by no coincidence that you find yourself here, either because someone mentioned CFG to you, or you found us while browsing through the different casts. I'm grateful for whatever force that led you here, and I pray that everything will be turned for good. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now let's begin, and naturally, from the beginning. As a careful explorer carefully maps out the course that they are to take towards their destination, us too, here at CFD, are also mapping our route well in advance. Unlike unreliable and corrupted maps, I decided to use the Word of God in scriptures as my personal guide into all truths. Many people do not agree with this approach, and some may even decide that the Bible is too corrupt to be the sole source of God's Word and therefore they find alternative routes towards understanding who God is and what it means to be a Christian. As always, be aware that there will not be a shortage of information about every given topic. Again, be aware that not all the information you will find will indeed be helpful towards you navigating through this journey we call life. As much as we may have many questions pertaining to every aspect of the biblical scriptures, it is important to understand that the research you do regarding either to find out the validity and credibility of biblical accounts or to discredit it because of your own reasons, you will find, for the most part, that the evidence will be biased or, more simply, you will find the evidence you wish to find. Maybe this is the greatest tragedy of our modern age of the vast database of information we find at our fingertips. Without a proper grounding foundation, your mind will always be in wonder and never at rest as the information keeps piling up. I believe that the entire human race and all nature indeed will be at rest if we all resolved to loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Are we capable of displaying this love without the one whose image we possess? I don't think so, but we will get more context as we read on. What we need to consider is the simple fact that the Bible, or more precisely, the canonized books that were declared scriptures, hold the single most comprehensive and complete narratum, narration sorry, of all of life as we know it, and so common sense should dictate that we ought to believe it as truth 
that is, until it is proven otherwise, just as we can assume physical life's existence within you and I until proven otherwise. Through the ancient words of old, we're not left guessing anything if we're to simply believe what is written. The more I read these texts for myself, the greater the depth of my understanding and the more profound I find the scriptures. Stating, sorry, starting that the scriptures are not 100% true is to claim that we know better than the inspired authors and more precisely than God himself who is being revealed through these pages. When we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we can either believe that the author of this narrative was either divinely inspired to write these words, or that they're lying and actually speaking about wonders they know nothing about or have corrupted their thoughts. No one would use such decisive language of explaining what they had no way of knowing without divine supernatural inspiration. Predicting how the entire universe came into being without insight would prove to be wrong and discarded as untrue as soon as more light is shed on the topic, and so far, even according to those dictating their lives in, uh, sorry, so far, and so far, even according to those dedicating their lives in cosmological studies, the biblical narratives remain standing strong in light of all the scientific discoveries of our modern age. As we peer ever deeper in what lies well above our known world, you would think of years ago, sorry, you would think that the simple narration used to describe our beginnings from thousands of years ago would finally be put to rest. But this is not what we find. In fact, what we find while studying objective science is that the Bible as it is written is 100% truthful in its claims. Again, are there things that we find hard to believe or comprehend as it is written? It would be abnormal if we did not. Think about it. The Bible contains all information contained in our universe just as a vehicle manual contains all the instructions needed to safely operate all of our vehicle's components. The Bible, however, goes much, much deeper into the topic of life, explaining every aspect of life, giving all evidence and relatable examples along with deep, profound truths that we would otherwise not know were not written in the scriptures. For the most part, it is actually much easier to believe what is written, that is, until someone comes along and makes you doubt or question the validity of the scriptures. All of a sudden, going back to the simple belief becomes a challenging and an uphill battle that I'm afraid to say that some people never go back to. This is fundamentally what happened to me earlier in my faith where, where when doubt was placed on my mind, I appear to have gone on a wild goose chase for truth that evaded me at every single turn. That is until I found myself questioning the very foundation I stood upon and the validity of what I was reading in the Bible. 
Furthermore, the ones claiming to hold truth as it pertained to God were always sure of themselves and used very convincing tactics in order to sway my thinking. All of them interpreted the scriptures as they saw fit and then went on to build sermons based on those scriptures. What I'm mentioning here is not by any means all bad. In fact, I can verify that most of the religious teachers I met in my journey through life indeed meant well and were coming to me with a clear conscience. However, the human heart holds great mysteries and the one who truly understand it is its maker. I don't mean to preach to anyone, but if I were to do so, I would not even trust my own heart and would preach to myself first and foremost while believing all that is written along with employing strategies that will maximize my love for others as myself and even further considering others better than myself. Anyone ever offering information in my opinion should do two things. First, think of how they would be impacted by that information were they to be on the receiving end of it all and also but arguably more important if the information is from a point of objective love as maybe in agape if what you're providing would not be helpful to you from a point that you wouldn't want it done to you then stop and reconsider i believe most if not all atrocities carried out by mankind indeed stem out from the disassociation of the perpetrator in the context of love towards one's neighbor if you're not able to or choose not to believe that your fellow human being's life is just as valuable as yours and even further that you need each other then for sure you will carry out any evil desires that we find in all our hearts towards those who we share our dna with let me again mention that we will keep refer- referencing the evil that lurks within each of our own hearts and that is as pervasive as a deadly virus is towards our white blood cells and immune systems for now why don't we carry along with the story of our origins as it was recorded thousands of years ago shall we At the center of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We know what life is. We know what knowledge is and we know what good and evil stands for. Why place these trees dead center in the middle of the garden? Have you ever wondered why our lives are always based on choices? Have you ever wondered why the choice to do good or evil are also always with us furthermore have you ever wondered why it is usually much easier to do what is wrong than what is right even at the earliest stages of life every parent with a test this to be the general rule of thumb that is until we are taught better and then legitimately choose to either do good or do evil these and many other tough questions will guide us through our journey of discovering who god is as well as what it means to be a christian as it is written 
keep these questions at your frontal lobe where critical thinking and executive functions of the brain occur as I want us to devote our utmost attention towards these two trees planted right in the middle of the absolutely stunning terrestrial Garden of Eden. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. One of these branches is the Pishon, which flows around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch is the Gihon, which flows around the entire land of Cush. The third branch is the Tigris, which flows to the east of Ashur. The fourth branch is the Euphrates. Please take a moment to note that even though this account was given thousands of years ago, the details given are in present participle form, as if they are describing a place that exists now that you could go visit. Furthermore, the details given regarding these rivers, where they are flowing from, the direction of their flows, what geographical locations they would be found, oh, and their names seems mind-boggling to say the least if these rivers actually do exist as it is written. The mention of these details sound like the first witness accounts of a trained historian as the mention of them indicate that the narrative is truthful since the Bible is not a work of fiction but an actual historical document. The mention of these ancient rivers along with the regions around them and even more some of the resources found around them is unbelievably surreal. Did the Arthur know that thousands of years later, their accounts would be canonized for all of eternity? A quick Google search for where the purest gold is found led me to South Africa. Because we can historically cross-reference ancient dates and events in order to accurately mark them in our modern calendars, as well as find ancient names for towns and cities that no longer exist for proper modern-day labels, I pray for the opportunity to be able to visit these historical locations in order to continue building up my faith. However, even if I never get the chance to set out on this quest, I will still believe in the scriptures of old, as opposed to believing whatever I want based on what my fellow human beings say that cannot be contextually found in the scriptures. It is a terrible thing finding out what you thought to be true was really a great lie. While doing your research regarding these ancient rivers, truly uh, ancient rivers truly exist, sorry, along with the lands mentioned in the scriptures, and even to verify it, for example, the precious metals do stand up to the purity test. Make sure you include external sources in order to get a full, unbiased understanding on what is written. Be aware though, as always, there will be skeptics to either make you doubt and question the validity of what is written, or will flat out deny the Bible's his historicity claims. Again, 
always be ready to follow the evidence no matter where it may lead. Search out the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and you will be directed to the Middle East in Asia where these rivers still flow to this day or at least what is left of them. The Middle Eastern nations have become synonymous with terrorism, death, destruction and much strife producing millions of refugees who can no longer stay in their homes due to the persecutions they face. Indeed, all throughout human history, war can be used to explain our history. I find it intriguing that the Bible happens to be written and records events mainly from the Middle East and surrounding areas, especially as far as the Old Testament accounts are concerned. When reading ancient biblical texts and supporting relevant recorded history and archaeological findings, it would benefit you to picture these modern-day countries. There's Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Jordan, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, and their surrounding regions. Most of the biblical narratives are written in these geographical locations with the New Testament of the Bible bringing forward the rest of our known world. The most fascinating aspect of the biblical narrative is that it records details that are verifiable and would have been easily refuted were they false claims. While visiting Israel a few years ago, I was in awe of everything I found out about this small country that was once a massive empire, as we will find out later. The most intriguing aspect of this country, in my opinion, is how you can actually see the Bible unfolding and coming alive at every turn. This ancient city of old, while viewed as the very center of God's focus, as we will continue to see, continue to unveil deepest mysteries hidden since the beginning of time itself. While walking through the towns and cities in Israel, one cannot help but be humbled by the rich history found at every corner and in every inch of the grounds on this mysterious and highly coveted country. I will make sure I mention much of what I experienced during my about a month's stay in Israel as we continue along on our journey. Relevant to our current topic, however, I will share a short story. My wife and I visited our family that was spread out all over Israel and also took the time to enjoy the rich heritage contained in museums and archaeological digs. It was as if I had arrived home and upon disembarking our plane, I got onto my knees and kissed the ground of my spiritual home. While visiting family, I couldn't help but be filled with wonder and amazement as his descendants of biblical characters shared with me the rich wisdom of this life that had been passed down through the ages along with answers to my barrage of endless questions. I was always fascinated and keenly listened to their answers as they taught me lessons that would remain valuable to me for the rest of my life. 
just as a way of satisfying my curiosity and the times for revelation purposes, I often asked unique questions whose answers would amaze me. I made it a habit to ask my Israeli hosts to point out to me important or significant biblical areas from the ancient scripts. I would, for example, open up to the current page of scripture that I would be reading for that day, as I have made it a habit to read my Bible every day, and pick a location mentioned and then ask my hosts if they've ever heard of such places. To my astonishment and amazement, nine times out of ten, my hosts would know exactly where that place is located in current day Israel. If that does not marvel someone, or at the very least convince their, uh, convince them of the history, historicity, pardon me, verifiability and reliability of the Bible, then I am not too sure what would. Is there any other surviving book written thousands of years ago that can not only stand the test of time, but would also pinpoint ancient towns and events? as if happening now? Indeed, this verifiable and predictive quality of the Bible is what adds to the evidence of its supernaturally inspired nature. Let us not speculate any further, but continue reading through the scriptural narrative as it is written. It is written, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord God gave him this warning. You may freely eat of any fruit of the garden except fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat out of its fruit, you will surely die. After creating the perfect universe, as it is written, God fashions all animals from soil and also creates the very first man, Adam, in his image. We've spent a considerable amount of time considering the created right up to this point when God is now communicating on an up-close and personal level with his creation made in his very image, Adam. No longer was God simply commanding the laws of nature to come into existence and then carry on as established. He communicates with Adam, maybe as I am communicating with you right now. Does this mean that Adam could utilize his five senses in communicating with God? Well, this appears to be the case. What else did God say to the man who could see, hear, touch, and speak to him? Did the conversation go something like, Hello, Adam. I first and foremost want to tell you that I love you beyond your comprehension as one made in my very image. You're my greatest creation, and I would like to put you in charge of everything you see that I created. Adam, There is no other being like you, and there never will be. I have put you not only the intelligence to know yourself, but also to know me, to know my creation, and above all, to be able to produce after your own kind in our image. 
Each person will be as different as their fingerprints and will individually possess great works of wonder that I will fashion for each of them. I have made sure that all creation is perfectly balanced and even though the laws of nature that I've put forth will continue to carry on their work, I will sustain all life and keep everything in balance. Everything I have created is for your full enjoyment. If you tend to it as I instruct you, all of eternity will be blessed and filled with everything good. And maybe, in a small way, by looking at creation right now, you can appreciate this fact. You will oversee every aspect of what nature laws govern and as I provide and sustain life. In the middle of the garden, I have two trees that are vastly different than the others. There are many fruit trees of the Holy Spirit that will bring you love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all within the borders of creation. Since I have given you my very image, you have the free will to do as you please and even reject my very instructions. I know right now you may not understand the implications of disobeying me. However, there is one in creation that has already disobeyed and will reap the consequences of that disobedience later, him along with the ones he convinced to rebel with, and sadly, also many made in my image, just as you are, will be convinced to be disobedient. Adam, I am warning you about all of this ahead of time, so that when temptations arise from outside and also from within, you may practice one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is self-control. Behold, the tree of life, along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, you may freely eat any fruit in the garden, except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. Adam, you know no difference regarding good and evil. All you know is love that is full of good. Love demands that I provide you with a free will because otherwise, and as you can see from some of the other created beings, you would have no choice but to worship me. And indeed, even with this free will, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord to my glory. I want you to choose life. And so please, along with every other tree, eat of its fruit. Please listen to what I say and do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, as once you do, I will have to judge you according to your response to this knowledge, which, I'm afraid, will be death, because I will not have any imperfect creation dwelling with me. I am perfect, and therefore 
you must also be perfect, just as I have created you. You do not know death right now, but if you eat of the fruit, you will introduce death to all creation that I have put under you. Physical death will mean that someday I will require the very breath I gave you from you, and you will return to the dust to which you came from. Your spirit will also be eternally separated from me. Why such a harsh punishment for simply eating from a fruit you planted and then placed in the center of the garden? Adam may have asked, immediately ignoring or not focusing on all the good that God had just told them. With a gentle voice, caring tone, and loving demeanor, God may have answered, Adam, my son, I have placed everything in creation perfectly and while using infinite wisdom that is too great for you to comprehend. In my timeless knowledge of everything from the beginning even till the end, this is the very best way the only way for the path of love. There is no other way. If there was another way of showing you who you are inside as a person with a free will, then I would have gone that way. But there is no other way. If you choose to love me just as I love you, then you will obey what I tell you and not eat of the fruit the knowledge of good and evil because I don't want you to face the consequences of being physically non-existent and potentially spending all of eternity outside my presence, where, may I add, is devoid of everything good as everything good and perfect comes from me. This fruit here serves two purposes. It will give you insight to what great consequences lay before each personal choice and, number two, it will prove as evidence that you have a real choice to obey me or not. It's totally up to you. Again, I would have created you as a being of only natural instinct and you would have done everything I command you to do, just as all nature obeys the laws I set before them but that is not how I wanted you to be like. I would like to have communion with you as I delight in who you are. I created you in my very image out of love so you may have the choice to love me back. It is not that I needed love from anyone because I am love itself. It is simply because love is simply infinitely better when shared. I love you, Adam. And so not only am I sharing all of creation with you, I am also revealing to you who I am and I want you to be just like I am. I am putting you in charge as I have already put the capacity of my wisdom and every aspect of who I am in you as much as I can to a created being find this wisdom to be even more than you can handle. Shortly, 
we will continue our conversation as I bring forth the animals as it is written. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. So the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird. He brought them to Adam, the man, to see what he would call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, birds, and wild animals. But still, there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs, or he took a part of Adam's side, and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, or side, and brought her to Adam. At last, Adam exclaimed, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken off a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. The relationship we are observing unfolding does not appear on closer inspection of one between a CEO per se and one of the caretakers of a company. God, the almighty being that he is, seemed to be respectful and with utmost kindness, concern, transparency, trust, and above all love, taking the time to instruct his creation made in his image, Adam, upon the very best way to lead the very life he now finds coursing through his blood. God is slowly but methodically and with great wisdom showing Adam the ropes, as some may put it. In biology, Wikipedia tells me taxonomy from the ancient word taxis, meaning arrangement, and nomia, meaning method, is a science of naming, defining, or circumscribing, and classifying groups of biological organisms on the basis of shared characteristics. Arguably, Science accredits Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher who lived from the year 384 to 322 BC, on being the first person to classify organisms. Obviously, according to the Bible, this naming of the species is actually attributed to Adam because as it is written, so the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and Adam chose a name for each one. A relevant and insightful topic of study could therefore be, number one, what language did Adam speak? And number two, what are the names according to that ancient language? For all we know, this is the very birthplace of the ancient Hebrew alphabet and language Maybe, I simply do not know. So if we were to trace back as far back as we can to the very beginning of language, there we may indeed find the first man, Adam, along with the names he gave all biological species. Did Adam stop at just naming animals and birds? I don't know. 
but I presume he would go on to name all other life forms as well. We're currently not given that information. Have you had the great pleasure and honor of spending quality time discovering new things with an inquisitive two-year-old child? I have, and it is one of the greatest sources of joy in our lives. As the child observes the wonder that is creation, their minds are always filled with questions and their brains soak up the information as a sponge does water. There was a season of my life when I had the opportunity to get up close to a brilliant two-year-old girl and I can still remember her great laughter as well as countless number of questions she asked as we went for nature hikes, for example. Her questions were filled with, and what is that? Why is it like that? What color is that? Is it going to bite me? Is that poisonous? Can I touch this? What is this called? Can I bring that home? And so many other questions. Adam and God must have taken some good quality time together as God formed these animals and birds and then passed them off to Adam in order to see what he may name them. Both God and Adam must have found great joy in their endeavor when you consider just how many different kinds of animals and bird species are out there. This, indeed, is the kind of relationship you would expect on earthly terms between a caring and loving father and his child. May we all come to know who we are in our Heavenly Father God. May God bless you in all you do. May all your dreams come true. And may you lack in nothing good. I love you, but God loves you boundlessly. Be blessed.